following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, today we are going to embark on another journey, a, a shorter journey. Uh, we just completed ten weeks going through verse by verse the book of Colossians. And today we're going to start going through a much shorter, smaller book, actually just one chapter, called Philemon. And these two are connected. Colossians and Philemon are connected. They have some of the same characters and written by the same person, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, before I get into the text, though, and introduce the text, I think there's. I had an illustration just handed to me yesterday through some experiences I had, and it's just like God to do something like this to where uh, I'm beginning this this uh, book today, and some of the the truth in this particular letter, and it was brought to to mind. I guess more clearly focused in some experiences I had yesterday. So I want to just share briefly. I was able to go to, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, they, they play, colleges play football on Saturdays generally. And so uh, there's a lot of games going on. And uh, the school I went to played yesterday. Uh, well, they, they were there in the stadium. They played most of the time, but they were present at least. Um, so I, the game began at 8 o'clock last night. And so I didn't really fancy the idea of going to the game and then getting done with the game at 11.30 and then getting in the truck and trying to get out of traffic and drive two and a half hours. So what I did was I went, uh, my, uh, the fraternity I was in when I was at Clemson had a reunion yesterday. And so I thought, well, I'll go to the reunion and see a lot of guys I hadn't seen in a while and then about five-ish, I'll head on back and get back to Wagner in time to watch the game on TV. So best of both worlds, right? I don't have to buy a ticket. I didn't have to pay for parking. Uh, just gas to get up there and back. So other than that, a free day and, and got to enjoy both, both things. So here's what I noticed. I, I saw... Now, I, I graduated from... Clemson 28 years ago and many of the people I saw yesterday I had not seen in 28 years some of them I've kept in contact with and, and talked to and, and visited and seen over the years in, in between then and now but many of them I hadn't seen in almost 30 years so let me tell you why that matters I showed up, I, um, I drove up there yesterday morning, I stopped in Anderson and visited a really good friend, uh, was able to meet up with him, I was thinking him and his, he and his children were going to be there, but his son, was, his son is, is dating someone, so he was otherwise occupied, you know, uh, but he was there, so we visited for a little while, it was really nice to catch up. Then I headed over to campus and found a free parking place, good, 
walked over to where other folks had begun to gather, and people started showing up. It's about noon, 12:30, and uh, first it was four or five, and then you know, then ten, then fifteen, then twenty, then. Uh, before the, the day was over, there was about 40 guys that uh, I had hung around a lot in college that I hadn't seen in a, in a long time. And let me tell you what happened. And, and I want to make a point to say time had elapsed, right, since I had seen them. Some of them we hadn't even spoken. Not because there was anything wrong, it's just, you know, life, different places. Some of them, a few of them came down, came over from Atlanta, some from Charlotte. Uh, one guy drove from Baltimore, Maryland. First time he'd been back on campus since 1999. I mean, it was, it was great. But here's what happened. After all that time had elapsed, it was like no time had gone by. We just, you know, hugging and, man, how you been? Tell me about your family. What are you doing? You know, just reconnecting almost instantly relationships, friendships that had been formed almost 30 years ago and then had basically were lying dormant to a large degree. And it was just, it was amazing. It was, it exceeded my expectations. I, I took some pictures and some pictures were taken. Uh, but let me show you the first one. This is the, 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 the guy who organized it. They um, had this cake made. It said, the bald head, gray haired reunion. That's what, it, because, you know, time elapses, you get older. And, it, and so I was, I was um, singled out by a few. Why, why hadn't you lost your hair? You, you cut your hair short on, on purpose, and, but you still got it. And uh, just, you know, contrary to what some may believe, I don't dye my hair either. You know, there's some gray over here, but it's not much. That's why I keep it short. You can't see it. So that's, there's method to the madness. But so... This was a cake that one of the guys had made, and uh, then I took a picture. I was I was sitting there with people starting to gather and eat, and uh, go ahead and show the next one. I kind of just held it up and looked. There was several. It, it goes. It spanned on like grills were to the left, more tents to the right. We had this huge shade tree. It's a beautiful area to to meet up, and people just reconnecting, having conversation. Then, uh, kind of midways in the afternoon, because some people showed up late, some people had showed up early, but we picked a midpoint time to try to take a group picture. So this next picture, these are all the guys that showed up. I'm strategically in the back, uh, so that's on purpose. So uh, I'm, and this is all the guys who came back from probably anywhere from 86 to 94 in that time range is, is where these guys represent. And then we took this picture. Then we took a picture of the family members of the, who were able to come, of the guys who were there. So this is a huge group. And many of the family members, you know, we hadn't met because people needed to go off to get married, to have children, and, and all these people. So let me tell you just the, the epiphany I had. I'm around people I haven't talked to in years. And we relived some memories and just talked about different things. And uh, you remember when this happened, you know, and just that kind of, it was just, one time, at one point in the conversation, I was laughing so hard I thought I wasn't going to be able to breathe. I couldn't even hardly catch my breath. Just some things that had happened and 
just reliving these great memories uh, from college. And uh, here's one of the things, not, not spiritual in any way, one of the things that we realized was this important truth. Thank God YouTube was not around during this time period. There is zero video evidence of anything that went on 30 years ago. So praise the Lord for that. But beyond that realization, here's what I realized. If I had this much of a connection and, and ongoing friendships, just uh, lots of hugs and handshakes and just smiles and, and just a great time with people who I just went to school with. We were in the, the same group and uh, nothing spiritual about it. If I could have that much of a, of a fellowship with this group, how much infinitely more should the body of Christ have true, deep-rooted fellowship and love for one another and care for one another and praying for one another. And if this can happen on a strictly secular level, shouldn't the church be light years ahead of that in, in those types of experiences? Love and fellowship, connection, Shouldn't that, shouldn't that be true? This means you can participate. This means yes. That I just it just dawned on me. I'm driving back, and I thought this was this was one of the best days I've had in a in a while in this kind of setting, and just so great to reconnect. And I thought the church should be setting this example. And how ironic then that we're starting in the book of Philemon which is one chapter, 25 verses, but that's one of the focuses that we will find in the text is the fellowship and the love that is such an encouragement to Paul and to others. You know, I, I believe, and, and I often say this, that right belief leads to right thinking Right thinking leads to right doing. It's kind of like a little progression, right? If you believe the right things, you'll start thinking the right things. If you're thinking the right things, you'll start doing the right things. Generally, that's how that works. But it's a lot more difficult to do the right things if you're not thinking the right way. And it's almost impossible to think the right way if you don't believe the right thing. And you can't believe the right things if you're not in the Word of God. So it all goes back to God's Word. So this particular letter that we're going to look at this week and the next two weeks, it demonstrates clearly this integration between Christian thinking, Christian living, and it blends this uh, love and wisdom and humor and gentleness and, and all this into Christian maturity. And it talks about, there's a word in here that we'll see today, koinonia, fellowship. What does that look like? What does true biblical fellowship looks like? What does that look like? So let me read today's passage. It's just going to be seven verses, but this first introductory piece today 
kind of sets the stage for what's to come. And it, it actually uh, builds a foundation which is going to uh, proceed next week's study. So let me read Philemon 1-7 through and then we'll talk for just a moment about that. Here's what the Bible says. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray You'd help us understand this Word that I've read. And as we understand, help us to obey. For Your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one thing that I noticed when I was preparing for this message today was that uh, it really pays off to look at some of the original language because there's several words that um, are a little, not necessarily different, but not... um, they're supplied in the English to kind of help us understand. So if you look in your Bible, take a look in your Bible in, in those first seven verses, and if you see any words that may be italicized and not in the normal print, usually, my, my translation, the New American Standard Bible, if a word is italicized, that means it was added. It's not part of the original language. It was added in there to try to help us kind of help it flow better when you read it. So there's several things in there. Where uh, that times where that's done, but uh, not that notwithstanding, one thing that's important to see is how Paul is praying for his brothers and sisters, what he considers God's family. He's praying for God's family, and he's praying very specifically and for specific reasons. So I want to just look at these two sections. There's two paragraphs, really, an introductory paragraph and then another uh, short paragraph from verse 4 to 7 that offer us two perspectives about how Paul views these Christians and this church. Now remember, this is in and around Colossae as far as the city. So the letter we just finished, Colossians, and this letter are linked together geographically with the people in it that he mentions and there's a situation going on that helps us understand, we'll see that next week, that helps us understand why this part today is so very important. So the two things we want to see is, first of all, is this. When we're praying for God's family, we need to pray for grace and peace. Pray for grace and peace. See, Paul, when he wrote this letter, remember, he had not personally met most, if not any of these people. The one person he did meet uh, is Philemon because Philemon was actually saved because of Paul's gospel ministry. And he get this, Philemon, who is the recipient of this letter, was saved by Paul preaching while Paul was a prisoner. 
So, lest we believe, well, I just can't tell people about Jesus too well. I mean, I just don't, the opportunity's never just right. You know, the conversation just doesn't flow. Well, Paul was in jail, and he's leading people to Jesus. So, I think pretty much we don't have any excuse. If we're free to roam about and have conversation, we can sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody or talk to them over lunch or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, and he was in jail leading people to Jesus. So, that speaks volumes uh, to his ministry mindset. But that's who Philemon is. But if you recall, in verse 2, Archippus was mentioned in Colossians. Here he is called the fellow soldier. But why is it Paul is praying specifically for grace and peace? Well, if you look at the text, first verse, Paul is identifying himself, who he is, where he is, who is... Um, kind of uh, not necessarily with him in prison, but one of his helpers, that's Timothy. So there's no evidence historically that Timothy's actually in jail with him, but he's there around. Uh, and so he's mentioned by Paul in the first verse. But Paul calls himself, by the way, only time, only letter, Paul calls himself a prisoner. Usually it's apostle or you know servant or missionary or preacher or something, but here he calls himself a prisoner. Prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy our brother. And then, before verse 1 ends, he says, To Philemon, our beloved and fellow worker. Now, the word brother is not in the original text. So if you read it literally, he says, To Philemon, our beloved and fellow worker. But he, uh, in, in English, the word brother is often added because Philemon is a brother because he was saved by hearing Paul preach. Okay? So that's not a that does no harm to the text, it's just not in the original. Then you get to verse two, and there's some other people mentioned. There's uh, someone named Aphia, our sister, historically, commonly believed to be Philemon's wife. And then Archippus, who was mentioned back in Colossians, Archippus is our fellow soldier. Now why would he be called a soldier? Because we're in a spiritual battle. And he's on the battlefield. And he's serving with distinction, no doubt, because he's mentioned in two of Paul's letters to the same region. He's a fellow soldier. And so that means he's working, he's fighting for the case of the gospel. Okay, He wants the gospel to, uh, to be extended. And then finally, in verse 2, to the church in your house, that your is Philemon. So apparently... Philemon and Aphia got a church meeting in their house, which is really cool because you know in the first century early on, this letter was most likely written about uh, 58 to 60 A.D., so just a little past midway the first century, but just think about the timeline. If Jesus was roughly 33, 35 years old when He went to the cross, that's roughly 35 A.D. at the most generous estimate. So here we're not even to six, this is 25 years. 25 years of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ is when this letter is being written. And so the church, if you go back and read the book of Acts, the way it began, remember what we talked about in Acts chapter 2? Every day in the temple and from house to house, they're meeting, they're taking the meals together, they're enjoying peace, and so the church is being built up, but it's not just, they didn't have buildings. I mean, y'all comfortable? Everybody okay? Is temperature all right? The seats comfortable? Everything okay? 
They didn't have that. I mean, they didn't have... I don't have any uh, historical evidence to say they had uh, indoor plumbing or electricity or padded seats or, or, you know, or buildings at all. But you know what? It didn't stop them from having church. It didn't stop them from meeting. It didn't stop them from preaching. It didn't stop them from enjoying the fellowship of believers. So this is the church in their house. And you get to verse 3 and you see the prayer. The prayer from Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul means for his letter to be a source of grace for the church. He's writing to encourage them. So the grace that he's trying to send their way is an extension of the grace that God is extending to him. Because if he's in prison and he's still seeing people get saved, that's a gracious act of God, isn't it? You get put in jail for preaching the gospel, and so then you preach the gospel in jail and people still get saved. That's awesome. (laughs) That's really good evangelism and mission work right there. Okay? He doesn't let his circumstances stop him from doing what God's called him to do. And peace. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. you ever feel like maybe your, your life is, is kind of in, a, in some degree of chaos, like controlled chaos? It's just uh, not necessarily rolling along smoothly like you might want it to. Anybody in need of peace in life? Well, there's only one place to find true peace. It's in Jesus. It's in a relationship with Jesus. See, peace, let let me give you a very important truth about peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of Christ. You can have things swirling around you. Nothing peaceful about your circumstances. But if you're in Christ, you can be at peace in the midst of craziness. It's the only way that happens. It doesn't mean all your circumstances magically just you know, settle down and everything goes great. It means that Jesus is with you. And that's, that's important. So Paul is praying specifically grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace among God's people. It's a result of God's grace in many ways. So what should we be doing? What should we be praying for our congregation and other congregations, other Christians? Because we're talking about God's family. We're not talking about one single church. Paul is certainly praying for a particular people in a particular place, but the principle transfers. So our application, what we need to do, is pray for God's family. Have you ever... I mean, that's not typical, right, for for people in one church to be praying for other churches to do well and other pastors to have fruitful ministry. Is that common? It should be should be 
because we should be praying grace and peace for God's family. Number two and finally, verses 4 through 7, pray for participation in the faith. Now this is a very interesting little set of... This is probably the most complex and, and difficult part of this paragraph to actually translate and understand the way it's written because uh, some things are lost when you go from Greek to English and, and so it, this, this is the part that was most difficult. But Paul says to begin with in verse 4, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers. So you know he's praying for these folks and even though Philemon's the only one he really has met, the rest of the church he hasn't. But he thanks his God always, making mention of you in my prayers. So you're first seeing a prayer of thankfulness. You're thanking God for your spiritual family, local and beyond. And you're praying on behalf of your spiritual family, making mention of you. So there's some intercession going on. And so what should we do with that? Verse 4. We should thank God for our church. When, when's the last time we just got before the Lord and said, thank you so much for Berlin Baptist Church. Thank you for this group of believers. Thank you that I get to be here with these folks and get to serve alongside of them and, and have friendships and fellowship and, and common goals and purposes. And th Thank you for this group of people. Do we do that? I mean, I know we do some, but maybe not often enough. That's something we don't want to ever take for granted. This is a blessing. This church, I can't speak for anybody else in this building, but I can tell you how I feel. This church is a blessing from God. To me, it's a blessing to my family. I'm, I'm thankful that God put me here. And I'm praying that God lets me stay here till I die. I love being here. I love the people I get to be with here. It's a, it's a blessing from God. And we should never forget where that blessing comes from. Thankfulness to God for our spiritual family. But this next part gets a little bit difficult and so I'm going to go ahead and kind of, I'm going to lead with the, with the solution here instead of build up to it. This next verse, verse uh, 5, kind of has, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to use this term, it's, it sounds weird, but it's, uh, in, in theological terms, it's a, it's a chiastic structure, which basically means this. If you have letters, it's an A, B, and a B, and an A. So the, the first and last things correspond, and the two middle things correspond. Does that make sense? Like if you, if you wrote down A, B, B, A. So you can't just read it straight. You've got the first one and the last one go together and the two middle ones go together. So, all right, so with that in mind, look at this verse. I hear of your love, or now skip to the end, toward all the saints. Your love toward all the saints. Your love for the people, for the Christian brotherhood. All right, then look at the middle. The faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus. So the word love is tied to the church, folks. And the word faith is tied to Jesus. So what Paul is saying is, when he prays about this group 
and he thanks God, he has heard of the love they have for all the saints and the faith they have in Jesus. Does that make sense? So that the word order is one of the most common things that gets switched around when you do translation from one language to another. The order of the words. So this is hopefully that helps you understand because sometimes if you read it just straight through, you're like, well, why they got faith in the saints? They got faith in the Lord and the saints. They got love for the Lord. How does that work? So they got love for the church. They got faith in Jesus. And honestly, isn't that what we should have? We we should have our faith in firmly in Jesus Christ. And we should have love for the church. Right? Now, of course, do we love Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. That's, a, the, that's the reason. Huh, this is good. The only, only way we can love each other is because we love Jesus. I saw a t-shirt years ago that said, Jesus loves you, and I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll get that in a minute. Alright, so, I hear of your love. I hear of the faith you have in the Lord Jesus. And so, because of that, what is Paul praying for? This is the prayer of this second paragraph, verse 7. I mean, verse 6, sorry, verse 6. He's praying that the fellowship of your faith will become effective. Now, what is the fellowship of the faith? That's where you get the word participation. It's not, some, some translations say sharing of your faith. And it's not sharing like preaching the gospel, it's sharing like we share a common faith. Does that make sense? And so we, we share a common faith, so we want to participate in that common faith together. So in other words, you ever heard, this is, um, this is the unwritten, unspoken truth oftentimes of many churches. You ever heard of this phrase? The 80-20 rule. You ever heard it? I bet somebody say it. Well, what's the 80-20 rule? A little louder? There you go. Alright. So that that's that's the 80-20 rule. Eighty percent of the ministry and, and work is done by twenty percent of the people. And that's a, an unspoken perception. Maybe there's more truth to it than there should be. Because if the church has a common faith, listen listen to this now. If the church has a common faith and we have a common fellowship around a common savior. Should we not all be participating in the faith we share? I mean, doesn't that make sense? If if you, in other words, I'm not I'm not just here for the benefits. I'm here for all of it. I'm here to serve. I'm here to lock arms with my brothers and sisters in whatever direction we're going. We're going to go together. Does that make sense? Y'all all right? Everybody okay? I'm not, I'm trying to read some facial expressions. I'm trying to. Uh, uh, interpret my audience here and I, I'm, I'm just curious everybody okay with that? we should be locking arms in other words if we're doing a tug of war we should all be pulling the rope in the same direction we should be on the same team pushing back against darkness pushing forward with the gospel we should be all, we should be all fired up about that by the way you know what? yesterday there was at least two places in this state filled with thousands and thousands of people, and they were all fired up. One of them was fired up for about five minutes, and then they went home. But the other one, I mean, I'm just saying, it was, it was a little, little bit sparse over there in Columbia. But uh, what I'm saying is, if people can get all fired up about a bunch of 20-year-olds playing a game, 
You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? How many times has that has that thought gone through our minds? Well, great day. We can spend all this time, effort, and energy, money, and everything to get fired up at a football game. Why can't we get fired up at church? Why aren't we? Why aren't we? Participation, fellowship in the faith. Paul's praying that it should become effective. And how does that happen? I love, I love this when you ask these questions and you just keep reading. Because there's the answer. I pray that the fellowship, the participation of your faith will become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. So for the sake, for the glory of Jesus... He has deposited good things in us. So when, when you come to know Jesus, there is a transaction that occurs. It's often called the great exchange. When you come to know Jesus, when Jesus saves you by His grace and you surrender to Him in faith and repentance, here's what happens. You... You're supposed to, you gather up all your sin and you give it to Jesus. He takes your sin away and hands you His righteousness. And so you have been transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that you might become the righteousness of Christ in Him. So He's exchanging our sin for His righteousness. And so because of that, He puts all kinds of good things in us. Righteousness, spiritual gifts, passions, abilities, for the purpose of serving the church, for glorifying the Father, for bringing people to Jesus through the Gospel. That's the whole purpose. And so when we participate in that together, you know... In Southern Baptist terms, there's this thing that the Southern Baptist Convention has. It's called the Cooperative Program. And basically, way back when it was begun, it was the premise that we can do a whole lot more together than we can do apart. So if we pool our resources and we fund missionaries and start churches and, and do ministry, if we cooperate, that's the principle behind it, we can accomplish a lot more. Well, did you know that that is just an expression of what every single local church is supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be participating together in the common faith which we share in Christ. So this fellowship of our faith, this participation is supposed to lead to effectiveness because we start to know and understand all the good stuff that Jesus has done for us. That's what verse 6 means. I'm praying, Paul says, the fellowship of your faith would become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for the sake of Christ, for the glory of Christ, basically in Christ. And so why would, he, why would it be so important that he prays for that? Well... I'm glad you asked. It's because it hasn't yet become effective. 
Because if it had, then Paul's prayer would have looked something like this. I pray that the fellowship of your faith would continue to be effective. That's not what he said. He said, I pray the fellowship of your faith would become effective. So, you know what that tells us? There's work to be done. There is um, almost like an evaluation that we must all continually do, individually and collectively. How are we doing with this? How is the participation of our faith actually going? Are we locking arms and moving in the same direction? Are we pushing back darkness? Are we moving forward with the Gospel so that men, women, boys and girls can hear and experience and know the love of Christ? Is that what we're doing? Because if we're not, we should be. And if we are, we should be doing it more. Right? You either move from not doing it to doing it, or you move from doing it to doing it more and better. It's that simple. Right? We all always have room for improvement. So why does Paul pray these things? You, you see the, the purpose, but now the, the reason, verse 7, that word for. So I pray this for or because... Verse 7 is such a great conclusion to this paragraph. Paul says, I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love. This is a... Alright, so verse 4 was a prayer of thankfulness. Verses 5 and 6 is more... Specifically, verse 6 is a prayer for participation and effectiveness. Verse 7 is... A prayer now acknowledging, thanking God for the joy and the comfort that Paul has through the love of the people. Philemon, primarily. He takes joy and comfort. Do, do you take joy and comfort in the love of the church? Because depending on how you answer that question, there's two things that could be wrong. Either you're not taking notice of the love that is there, or the church as a whole needs to do a better job of loving. And, and maybe, maybe both of those are true. Because everybody has room for improvement, right? So maybe we as a church, churches as a whole, need to be more intentional about loving well, and then members of churches need to be more um, conscious of the love that is in the church and to take joy and comfort in that love. That's what Paul is, is doing here in this letter to Philemon. I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you brother and understood as my brother because this is someone who responded to the gospel as preached by Paul got saved now he has a church in his house and their very existence gives love joy comfort refreshing to the other believers so the get this just picture verse 7 
the believers that are around Paul while he's in prison, those believers are being refreshed in their souls by hearing about Philemon and the church in his house. So that's, it's, it's an encouragement. Joy, comfort, refreshing, and just an acknowledgement of we're all brothers and sisters here. We're all part of one family and we're in, we're in the same uh, struggle on the same team. You know why this love gives Paul the greatest encouragement? Because it is the surest uh, demonstration that the love of Christ is really being formed in the people of God. Did you know that we cannot love each other well unless we've got the love of Jesus in us? If we don't take hold of the love that Jesus has loved us with, we will never love each other like we're supposed to. We won't know how. We always see it, it always goes back to Jesus. We look to Jesus. And His example. He loves us so well. And that's how we love others. I mean, go to a place like Ephesians 2.4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He's loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. That, that's the kind of love we're talking about. So it's a great encouragement to Paul. But the only way we will become effective is if we know and understand every good thing in us, in Christ. See, Jesus has He's given us so many gifts and blessings and the only way we'll be able to do anything with those things is if we take note of them. We have to recognize what Jesus has done and what He's doing. And once we recognize those things, we start to become more and more equipped to pass it on. To love other people. To care for our, our own body of believers. And then express that love to others by sharing the Gospel. Effective in our participation of the faith. You want to pray for this church? You want to pray for the larger body of Christ? Pray for grace and peace. And pray for participation in our faith. And then just watch what, watch what God does. Watch how Jesus always honors His Word. He honors obedience to His Word. Remember what Isaiah 55 says? My Word will not return void without accomplishing the purpose for which I sent it. So we got to do our part and do what it says. Let me pray for you. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. 
For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.